learn about freedom. You know, I think some people have an idea what freedom is, but they're, they're mistaken. This is how I view freedom. I am, well, not the dog whisperer. So, I, if I have a dog, its ability to be good or bad is wholly dependent upon the dog. The master is a common denominator, and he has no idea what he's doing. I try to remember to feed him when I'm supposed to, give him water, and I simply ask that when I ask him to do things, he does them. It's not that hard. Dog's life, right? Come here. If he comes when I call, I'm pretty happy. If he's running down around the block through the neighborhood and I holler for him and he comes back, that's a good dog. I've had several dogs in my life, some that were good, some not so good. The good dogs, the dog that would come when I call, that was obedient, that heard my voice, that was right there with me, man, I took that dog with me everywhere. Why? Because I always knew no matter where I was or what was going on, if I was in the right or wrong, if I called him, he'd come. If I asked him, he'd stand beside me. He was a good boy. So that dog and I, we went everywhere. We went fishing together. We drove around in a truck together. We experienced all kinds of freedom. But I've had other dogs that as soon as they had opportunity, they were gone running down the road as fast as they could. I call their name and they're deaf all of a sudden. Suddenly they can't hear anything. They don't know anything. They just run. That dog ends up on a chain and spends its life in a little circle around the pole stuck in the ground. Now, if you were to ask the dogs, which one of them would tell you he was free? See, the dog on the chain, he's going to say, I get to do whatever I want, man. I do whatever. As soon as they let me off his chain, man, I'm just off running all over the place. But is he free? Man, he's stuck to a chain. But that other dog that's obedient, that, that hears the voice of his master, that dog experiences real freedom. And that we have to understand when we're looking and considering Freedom in Christ. That's what freedom in Christ is all about. Freedom in Christ is all about presenting ourselves to Him as tools to obey where He's calling, where He's directing. And when we're following God's precepts, you know what we experience? Freedom, man. Freedom. Or we can run in rebellion and say, true freedom is getting to do whatever I want. But that's not freedom. That's bondage. That's what bondage is. Well, as we look today, this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's going to be building on this concept of what does it really mean to be free and what is our responsibility when we experience that freedom. So if you open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll begin to take a look. Now you remember, as Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, he's answering questions that they've asked. Last, Last week we had a chance to talk a little bit about marriage. This week, he says this, Now, concerning things offered to idols. Now, we know that we, ha- we all have knowledge, that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. He gives us the first little clue to what experiencing freedom is all about. He says, knowledge puffs up. Folks, there's never a time when knowledge doesn't puff up. In fact, the most serious issue in Bible college that anyone has to guard against is as they gain knowledge, not puffing up. 
Not getting this idea that, that suddenly they have arrived, they have all the answers to, to life's questions. Now, personally, I had all those answers at 16. But when I went in Bible college, and as I grew and as I learned, I had to struggle because the more we know, the more knowledge we gain, the greater degree we'll puff up and start thinking ourselves above or beyond someone else. And when we do that, folks, we have to ask ourselves this question. What can you possibly do to make God love you more? And what is it you think you can do to make God love you less? Because you and I, we weren't even born when he sent his son. So what had we done? Nothing. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. What did we do to to not deserve it, to not have it? Nothing. The reality is, the scripture tells us, That God so loved the world, that He loved us when we didn't love Him. When we were at enmity with God, He loved us. Now, our human minds want to tell us, if I do this, I'm better. I'm closer to God. I'm better than my brother that I'm sitting beside. If I am obedient, God will love me more. And that is an error. God can't love you any more than He loves you right now. How many people at some point in their life, they're coming to church, they're doing all the things that God wants them to do, but then they perhaps they fall away. Perhaps they go through a time where they became selfish, they just started to do whatever they wanted to do, and then the biggest, the biggest drawback holding them back from coming back into fellowship, from coming back to church, from going again and seeking God's direction and God's hand, is that idea that, well, he's mad at me now. He, he don't know what I've done. He won't want me back now that, I, now that I've done those things or, or, or I can't get over them myself so that, I can, so that I can come back, enter back in to that relationship with him. But folks, there's nothing we can do. God loves you right now, where you are, whatever you're doing, as much as he could possibly love you. That's where God is with us. So these Corinthians, they write a letter to Paul. And this was their concept. Hey, what about meat sacrificed to idols? Paul, I can buy meat sacrificed to idols cheaper. And Paul says, listen, here's one of the things you want to hold on to when you're making your decisions. One, knowledge puffs up, love edifies. What should guide us? What we know or how we love? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples because you know everything there is to know about the Word of God, right? Because, because I've had fellows call me on the phone that can quote the Bible, speak the Greek, speak the Hebrew, but they have not got the first clue to what the love of God is all about. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. So we want to keep that in mind. When we're considering this issue of freedom, what are we free to do? What are we not free to do? What is okay? What's not okay? We still deal with those questions today, don't we? And we don't have meat sacrificed to idols. We don't have that necessarily that issue. We're going to have to to make the issue our own. But this is the issue they were dealing with. Hey, Paul, is it okay or not okay for me to get meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul goes on in verse 2. Look, he says, And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. 
That word, if anyone thinks he knows anything, means if anyone is a know-it-all, those people who pretty much figure they got all the answers, Paul says they don't know anything. How often have you heard a, a Bible scholar, Bible teacher say, the more I study, the less I know. The more I dig into the Word of God, the, the, the realization that I come to that I don't have all the answers, that I don't know anything. But Paul says if you've got to know it all, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know yet what he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. What's the point? It's not about what you know. It's about do you love the Lord? It's about do you love your brother? Knowledge is good. It's not bad. But knowledge is not of primary importance. Primary importance will be love. We're going to study about the gifts when we get to chapters 12, 13, and 14. 12 is going to deal primarily with the gift of tongues. Chapter 14 is going to deal with the, the variety of other gifts. You know what's nestled right between the two? Chapter 13. We all know what that's about, right? The love chapter. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you know. If it's not about love, it's not any good. It's not good for anything. So love becomes that which is to guide us. Love becomes that which is to direct us. The question should not be, what do I know? The question should be, is what I know loving? Am I being loving? Now, we, we fall into two errors when we consider love, don't we? We have what people call sloppy agape, which they just want to turn their head from everything. We, are, we saw that in 1 Corinthians already when they had a guy caught in sexual immorality, but they didn't call him out and what he was doing was wrong. That is not loving. It's not loving for a parent to allow his child to do whatever they want to do. A parent, the Bible says, if you love your child, you will discipline him promptly. You'll give the guidelines that there are to give. So the Bible indicates that what is loving may not be exactly what we define all the time as loving. When the Bible is calling something freedom, the enemy, Satan, he whispers into the air what real freedom is. What real freedom is is just do whatever you want. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. You ever heard that before? Do whatever feels good. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law is the only commandment in the Satanic Bible. Whatever you want to do, Hath God truly said? That's the same lie the devil's been telling from the beginning, man, from, from the Garden of Eden. So it's not enough for us to know. We also have to minister that knowledge in love. He says, not about how much you know. Do you love God? Do you love Him? How many times I've gone through this myself. My, I'm praying, Lord, direct me, Lord, guide me, and I feel like this door is opening up for me in whatever case. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, I don't know. Is this door from you or is this a, the enemy trying to trick me? And the Spirit will speak to my heart. Do you love God? Well, yeah, I love God. Did you ask your Father to show you the way? Well, yeah, I did. Then why are you afraid? God wants to show you His will for your life, He doesn't want to keep it a secret. He's not trying to make it hard. We make it difficult because we hold on to that idea, that concept that, well, you know, I, I've got to be extra careful. If I love the Lord and He is opening those doors, I don't need to be afraid to walk through. Does that mean if I walk through the door, it's going to be easy? No. But it does mean if I walk through the door, it's going to be two things, for my good and His glory. Whatever is on the other side. My good 
His glory. So Paul is laying out for these guys at Corinth, focus on love. It's great that you have knowledge, but you need to use that knowledge, a proper application of knowledge, what people call wisdom, right? Well, the proper application of knowledge is through love. That we understand what we're to do is to be loving. Well, look, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. He's saying, listen, we know there's only one true God, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. There is one God. All these false gods are just that, false. They're not real. They're not omnipotent. They're not all-powerful. The Bible does indicate that behind the door in idol worship, there is demons, there is power, there are issues that take place, but they're not God's. So Paul says, so we know that 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 which is offered to these gods, is not really offered to gods. It's not really what they say they're about. That's not what's really going on. And then he says, there's one Lord, the Father, or, or, or one God, the Father, one Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, so many times, how many folks at one time or another have struggled with the idea of the Trinity? It becomes a bit of an issue, right? But listen, the Word of God declares to us, this shouldn't be... This shouldn't be surprising to us. The Word of God declares to us that we cannot understand the unsearchable riches of who God is and what God is all about. That we, if we think that we can take the immutable, omniscient, omnipotent God and put Him in a box and fully understand everything, that's not God anymore. God is beyond that. What do we know? What does the whole Bible teach us? Listen, the whole Bible teaches us that every time the name God is used in the Bible, it's plural. Did you know that? Elohim, El is God. Elah is more than one. Elohim is three. Three or greater. And it's used over and over. In Genesis, let what? Us. Make man in how? Our image. The Bible doesn't make mistakes. When we go through the whole counsel of God's Word, you know what the Bible says? The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. It lays out those three are coexisting in one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is what? One God. He is one God. The word used for one in that place is the word echad. Echad. It means compound unity. A group united together in one. You know the first place it's ever used in the Bible? Genesis chapter 2. For who? For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become echad, one flesh. The whole counsel of God's word gives us an understanding that there are three persons in one God. How's that work? I don't know. We'll figure it all out when we get to see him face to face. All I know is that the Trinity exists, it's taught, it's seen throughout the pages of Scripture. And so I have to come to the point where I realize I cannot understand everything about God. 
But I can believe what the Word says. I can believe that the Word declares the Father was responsible for creation, the Son was responsible for creation, and the Holy Spirit was responsible for creation. Now, when I went to geometry, when we entered into equations like that, we realized that if that's true, then all three of those are equal. They're equal. They're together. They're echad. They are one. One God. One Lord. One Jesus Christ. So we take a look and we see, as, as Paul is laying these things out for us, idols are nothing. Idols are nothing. But we get wrapped around the axle about things sometimes that are nothing. Do you know that? Sometimes we, we have a conviction about something that isn't anything. It has no power. And that's what Paul is pointing to. That's what Paul is beginning to address. Look what he says. He says also then in uh, verse 7, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. Here's what he's saying. There's one group who realizes idols are nothing. So you sacrifice meat to an idol. You're sacrificing that meat to nothing. I can eat of that meat. What's the big deal? But there's another person who doesn't have that understanding. There's another one to whom that idol really bugs him. And that that meat being sacrificed to him really bothers him. And if he eats, if he takes in that meat, it defiles his conscience. And the Bible says his conscience is weak. His conscience is weak. Weak according to knowledge. Weak according to understanding. Not necessarily weak according to self-control. Take a look at the Middle Ages. When the church was, was coming through that period of time, a dark time in church history, do you realize that there were mystical men who said, man, I am so able to follow the Lord, I am going to take a 20-foot pole, column, and I'm going to climb up that column, and I'm going to sit on that column for my whole life. And so, this mystical monk climbed up on that column and sat on that column for his entire life until the day he died as an act unto the Lord, that he was doing this for God. He was setting himself apart from the world. He wasn't going to be defiled by any of this other stuff. He was going to go sit on the pole. God's word would say he's weak. He's strong in his self-control, but in his understanding of what God wants of him, he's not. He's weak in that understanding. He's weak according to knowledge. Now, you and I, we look at people like that with that self-control, and we want to give them this pseudo-spirituality that by withdrawing themselves from things, somehow they become closer to God. What can they do to make God love them more? Nothing. What can they do to make God love them less? Nothing. They just need a relationship, a drawing near unto Him presenting themselves unto him. So he's saying, listen, one brother's weak. He sees the idol as being something really mattering. But verse 8, food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat it are we better, nor if we do not eat it are we worse. Paul says, it doesn't matter. Do you know how many things the church fights about that don't matter? At all? Yeah. 
It's the dumbest thing ever. Um, Keith Green used to say that the, the world's asleep in the dark and the church can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And their biggest problem is they're spending all their time polishing their armor and fighting one another. Arguing over silliness. The so church of Corinth arguing over, am I better if I eat meat? If, am I freer? I'm free to eat meat, right? Sure you are. I'm free not to eat meat, right? Yeah. So by not eating meat, did I get closer to the Lord? Not really. By eating meat, did I get closer to the Lord? No, not really. The point is, what are we doing to strengthen one another, to edify one another, to lift one another up? Verse 9, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Ah, there it is. There's the guiding point for us. Not our knowledge. Not that I know an idol's nothing so I can do whatever I want. But that I realize I must work my liberty, my freedom in love. Which means if what I do causes a brother to stumble, I ought not do it. But I'm free to do it. Sure you are. But if it causes a brother to stumble, you're not free to do it anymore. Why? Jesus said what? They will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. Love is what guides us. What is loving for my brother? Sometimes it's loving to confront a brother. Sometimes it's loving to set your freedom on the back row. And walk the way that you need to walk to provide an example to him. So Paul says, what rights are you willing to give up for the Lord? What rights are you willing to leave? Or are you so bound to your rights that we should call this the church of the people's rights? You know that name, right? From Revelation chapter 3, the church of people's rights. Laodicea. Remember what the Lord said to them? You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be at that church. I don't want to be a part of of what's being said about them. So we don't want to be a people that's all about my right. What do I have the right to do? Because Paul's going to say all things are lawful for me. I am free in Christ. Folks, the closer you get to the Lord and you more, the more you understand about your relationship with the Lord, the freer you will become. Not the more bound. Not the more bound. The freer you become, the freer you are to, to, to enjoy, to be a part of what this world is because you recognize and realize that freedom in Christ. But I will not allow my liberty to cause a brother to stumble. So... There are guidelines that we set up in our lives so that we don't do that. Because it's not about my rights, right? It's about others. It's all about others. So he goes on to tell us. Now, if anyone sees that you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall your weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Are you going to, by your freedom, cause your brother to perish? Look, he gives us the same concept in Romans chapter 14. If you want to flip over Romans chapter 14, 
Listen to what he lays out for us here. In Romans 14, he says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he can eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Well, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, uh, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself or dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord that there is nothing unclean of itself. Now, some people need to take a breath and read that again. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. To the pure, what does the Bible say? All things are pure. To the defiled, all things are defiled. So look what he's laying out for us. Listen. There is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is. Listen, here's what he's talking about. Our convictions in the Lord. Things that God calls me to. For I know that there's no power of of ungodliness in, in, in necessarily in things, but I know there are some things I stay away from. Why do I stay away from? Because I know where they lead me. It's wrong for me to take my convictions and force you to to adopt my convictions. Or it's wrong for you to tell me I shouldn't have that conviction and get rid of it. Who are you to judge another man's servant to what God is calling him to do? For example, for, for Kathy and I a long time ago when we started doing youth ministry back in the 90s. We uh, made a commitment that we we were done ever touching any kind of alcohol at all. Period. It's gone. Why? Because alcohol is in and of itself pure evil? No, that's not what it is. It's because God has laid out for us that we need to watch out for our brother. I happened to watch some guys when they were in Bible college. They, they were free, man. They were free to enjoy life. They were free to go dancing. And they went to this club in Palm Springs to go dancing. We you know what they didn't know? While they were at that club dancing, there was a guy who was part of our church who was struggling in alcoholism. And he was having a hard time with it. And he was also at that club. Now, those guys weren't drinking. Those guys weren't doing any of those things. They were just there to dance and have fun. Aren't they free to do that? Sure they are. It's okay. They're there doing that. But he saw them. And when he saw them, it struggled in him. He said, oh, it's okay for me to be here. But it wasn't okay for him. And he fell right back into his alcoholism and stumbled and fell. And it was a lesson that was 
surprising to the Bible college students because they're like, who's ever paying attention to us? You'd be surprised. Now, can they say, we have the right to go dance if we want to go dance? Sure you do. You have that right. But you don't have the right to take a brother down with you. What is the loving thing to do? To demand my rights? Or to do what I need to do so that I can ensure that everyone's going to be okay? Hey, I wasn't stupid. The kids in youth group, they partied, they drank. But they weren't going to find an excuse to drink by seeing me somewhere in a restaurant having a drink. It wasn't going to be that. I was not going to provide that example to them. So we set it aside. We set that aside. That's a conviction that God laid on our hearts. We also set aside uh, secular music. We set aside secular music and focused fully on what, what we consider spiritual music, praise music, you know, Christian rock, whatever. Because why? Because I need in my life to walk with God. I need in my life to pour God in in every opportunity. I need to pour Him in my ears. I need to put Him in my eyes. I got to smell Him. I got to have Him in every possible way that I can have Him. Why? Because I'm weak. And I can fall. And I know if I fall, I don't just go down by myself. I take people with me. So... I make that choice. Do I have freedom? Sure I have freedom. But I don't use my freedom as an excuse to cause problems for other people. I want, I'm free in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, you know, there is there now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, I, I have that reality, but the truth is, in love... That's going to change what I know. How I apply what I know. It's going to change based on the reality that I love my brother. Look, Romans 14, 15. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your be good be spoken of as evil. This is what he's laying out for us. Hey, we got freedom. That's great. That's great. But I'm going to bring that freedom under control and submit it to the Lord. God, this is what I'm I'm here to do what you want. I'm here to present myself to you. I want to live to you. I want to live in Christ. I want to experience all that Christ has for me to experience. So he says, because of your knowledge, will the weak brother perish? 1 Corinthians 8, 11. For whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Hey, it wasn't a sin until then. Now it is. When you do that, when you cause that brother to stumble, you cause him to perish, you're not only sinning against the brethren, You're also sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother to stumble. What's he saying? He's saying, listen guys, it doesn't matter whether you eat the meat or not. It's not going to hurt you. It's not bad. But if it's going to cause your brother to stumble, you need to adjust your freedom. If it causes someone to fall, you need to change the way that you're looking at the things that you're doing. And so as he's laying that out for us, he's going to give us an example. 
He's going to give us an example of what it means to lay down our rights. But don't lose sight of the fact that the person who has the less freedom is weaker according to knowledge. Because nothing bothers me more when, than a pseudo-spiritual person come to me and talking about all that they don't do. I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. Okay. That didn't make you spiritual. That is the flesh inside of us. The flesh likes to, us to feel like we're better than everybody else, doesn't it? Our flesh wants to say, Woo, you know, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't go with girls who do. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so when we think about those things, that's, folks, that's our flesh, man. That is not being spiritual. But we wrap it up in a pretty little bow and pretend that it is. That's not spirituality. Spirituality, according to what Paul teaches, experiences more freedom, but it's willing to do less with the freedom it experiences because it loves its brother. It loves those who are weak. And it wants to provide opportunity for them to be able to grow. When it talks about the weak or the immature believer, what makes someone immature? Well, let's think about it. When you first get saved, immature, right? Hey, I don't know anything. I'm just, doing, I'm just trying to find my way through. So when we first get saved, we're, we're immature and we, we need to grow. We need to develop. So that's excusable, right? We want to make sure we're watching out for, for the, the weaker brethren when that happens. What else stops us from, from moving forward into maturity? What stops us from going forward? Well, being spoiled. Being spoiled little babies. That stops us from growing. Consider this. Those who have been saved, but because of lack of of willing to apply the truths of God's word, they don't move forward. They're still stuck in the same place. They're still stuck in that pseudo-spirituality of of the do's and the don'ts instead of moving forward in the reality of everything that God has for them. Prime example, uh, we read about it in Hebrews chapter 5. You want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 5 with me? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have not come, or you have come, to need milk and not solid food. They're not growing. They're not continuing forward. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the Word. What causes our faith to grow? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing the Word of God. So you're unskilled in the use of the Word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, here they are, the elementary principles, the the beginning first steps of our life with Christ. Let us move on to, to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. 
And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted that heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew themselves again to repentance. Listen, here's what he's saying. Hey, these guys are not moving forward. They're not progressing. And here's the danger of not progressing. The danger of not progressing is falling away. Falling away. And if you've received the truth of God, there's not more. If you're looking for something greater than this, and this doesn't satisfy you, then you're not going to be satisfied with anything. It is the truth of God's word, the truth of his righteousness. I want to move forward and know his word more. I don't want to just stay on the first rung. I don't want to just stay on the first step. I want to move deeper. I want to move closer. But that ability to move closer, how does it come? By what I do or don't do? It comes by me drawing near the Lord through his word prayer and worship that's why we come together corporately that's why the writer of hebrews would say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a manner of some and so much more as you say as you see the day approaching as you see the day of the lord coming as you see the world going upside down as you see earthquakes and pestilence we see haiti struck by an earthquake leveled wiped out obliterated in fact if it's a brief side note, if the Lord puts it on your heart, you want to be involved in helping out Haiti. Uh, we do have some ties with Samaritan's Purse and a way for you to be able to do that. So talk to me after church and we'll, we'll get you dialed in on that. But we, we see these things taking place. And the word says, when you see that happening, you need to come together. You need to study the word. You need to come together. You need to, you need to pray. You need to come together. You need to worship. You need to come together because that's how we're edified as we love one another. That's the point. We want to love God. We want to be growing. We want to be moving forward with what he has. We want to grow and not stay in a place where we're spoiled and we say, I don't want to. I'm going to stay in this place. I'm going to keep my list of do's and don'ts because that makes me holy. They don't. They make you legalistic. It's not holiness. What you do through love is so much better than the have-tos, isn't it? Well, I can't do this and I can't do that. No, I can say I choose not to do these things because I'm, doing, I'm not doing these things to love God. But I realize that there's nothing that I do that's going to make him love me more. With scripture goes on. He says in chapter 9 verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And are you not my work in the Lord? Now all of those questions demand in their structure an affirmative answer. And if you want to know the verses in each one of those. He is called an apostle by God himself. He saw Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. He's the one who founded the church at Corinth. He's the one who did that work to raise them up. So he's, he's giving the affirmative answer in each one of these questions. If I am not an apostle to others, I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He was the founder of the church in Corinth. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Now listen. Paul's going to start to talk about his rights 
that he sets aside because he loves the people. He's going to say, am I free to have all these things, to do all these things, to experience all this? And in the end, his point is, yet I would rather set that aside so that I can minister to you. It's not about my rights, what I am right to be free to do, but rather it's about what am I willing to set aside to reach you, to touch your life. He says, do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Well, that is a problem, by the way, for our brothers that, uh, that are, are Catholics. Because Peter was the first pope, wasn't he? And if you're the first pope, you're a pope, you're not supposed to be married. Peter was married. It says, and as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Peter was, was married. Well, how do we get into errors like that? Because we don't study the word. We just believe the word of some guy standing in front of everybody. Well, it's got to be true because Jackie said it. it has to be that way. No, that ain't true. Ask Kathy. She'll be happy to tell you. <laughs> Scripture goes on. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Now, here's the reasons. First, he's going to say, listen... I have the right to be supported by you. I have the right to have you feed me and and provide for these areas of my life. He's going to give them the reasons. First, he's going to appeal to human logic. This is a human logic argument. Whoever goes to war at his own expense. When I joined the Marine Corps, they didn't say, you got to bring your own rifle. They give me one. They didn't say I had to go get my own tank if I'm going to be in a tank battalion. They provided a tank. Who goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit? When we, when we, this year, Kathy and I, we'll see, are going to have a garden. <laughs> and we're going to grow things. Probably weeds mostly, but we'll see. Now, if someone comes along to me and says, well, since you had a garden, you have to give away all the fruit of your garden and you don't get to eat any of it. It kind of takes the fun out of growing the garden, doesn't it? I want to be able to partake of what we grow. I want to be able to partake in that. That's what Paul's saying. Human logic says if you plant fruit, you're going to eat it. I got four apple trees in my front yard. They were full of worms, but I ate them. That's not gross. It was good. (laughs) Somebody told me those are apples filled with protein. (laughs) I didn't see any worms yet. And he says, now who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man or does the law also say them? So first he says, look, even human logic says. That we, those who are workers are worthy of their wages. What's the Bible say? Well, same thing, right? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it the ox that God is concerned about? When's the last time you saw an ox reading the Bible? Did, it, did the Lord put that in there for the ox? Here, ox, Bible says you get to eat while you tread. No, who's it there for? It's there for us, that we would realize, that we would recognize that. Or does he say it all together for our sake? 
For our sakes, no doubt, it is written that he who plows would plow in hope, that he who threshes would thresh in hope, should be the partaker also of his hope. For if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So Paul's saying, look, we have the right. We have the right. We're called of God. God says a worker is worthy of his wages. Didn't Jesus in Matthew 10 say not to take with them anything, but what they needed would be provided by the people to whom they ministered? This is all part of, of how God directed and how God called. And so, hey, Paul's laying all these things out for him. He says, if others are partakers of this right over you, should we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but we endure all things, lest we, what? Hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying, I got all kind of rights. I got rights to be supported by you. I got rights to be supported by these other churches. I, got, I could demand that I get everything I deserve. But what did he say? I don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, I'm willing to lay aside my rights. What rights are you willing to lay aside for the Lord? We need to shift our focus, not from what can I do or what can't I do, to what what is God calling me to do? How is the Lord directing me? It's not about my rights, what's okay, what's not okay. It's about what can I do to glorify Him? To magnify the name of Jesus Christ. What can I do to accomplish those things? This is what Paul's laying out. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? He's going to the example of the Old Testament. You know the priests got their food, their sustenance, their living from the tithes of the people and from the sacrifices that were brought. Parts of each sacrifice fed the priests. You had the, the burnt offering. And the burnt offering, they received the hides, the leather from those hides. They could use, make their clothes or to sell for money. They were also in the sin offering, able to receive all the meat that was cooked on the, on the bronze altar that was on that barbecue. They would cook it up and that would become their meat to provide for the tribe of Levi. Then in the peace offering, they received the breast and the right shoulder. That was their part. Everything else went to the family who offered it. So there was provision made even then. So Paul still building on this idea, what do I have rights to do? What are, what are, what are my rights? What does the Bible teach? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's found in Matthew chapter 10. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that you should do them for me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is what he's saying. Listen, I have all these rights, and I could, I could say that you've got to do all these things for me, but I'm not going to do that. Because I have to preach. Because that's what God called me to do. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah was so frustrated that nobody would listen to him. He said, forget it. I'm not telling you what God said anymore. I'm going to just hang out here in the pit that they threw me in. And he sat in that pit and he said, that's it. I'm quiet. I'm not saying the word. I'm not speaking the word one more time. 
And then Jeremiah said that there was a fire inside of him and he couldn't stop because he had to tell people the word of God because that's what he was called to do. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, I got to preach. I got to do it because that's what God's called me to do. That's what God has directed me to do. That's the plan that God has for my life. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. And that word is, is mythos. It's, it's a wage. I have, I have what I need. Do you know that the scripture says that God supplies our needs according to his riches and glory? You know when those words were spoken, who they were spoken to? Church at Philippi. And what had they done? They had just given Paul an offering. They had provided for Paul. You know how Paul was able to go and do the things he did at Corinth? Because the church at Philippi sponsored him, backed him, helped him, gave him that offering so that he could move forward. And Paul's response to them was, hey, God's going to meet your every need. God's going to meet every need that you have. Because Paul himself experienced God meeting his needs for all that he had done. So verse 18, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I have rights. I am the Apostle Paul. I mean, I saw God. Jesus called me. He directed me into ministry. He taught me. He empowered me. I could, I could proclaim that, I, that all these rights that I have in the Word, but, but that's not what it's about. It's not about my rights. It's about how can I reach more people. So for him, hey, I'm not going to charge. I don't want there to, people have to pay to hear the Word of God. Listen, for though I am free... For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more. That's freedom. Though I am free from all men, I, I'm free in all these ways, but I am a servant to all so that I can win more. That's his focus, man. That's where his attitude is. Not what can I, but what, how can I serve? That's his attitude. That's the attitude that he has. And that is the context, by the way, of these next two verses you'll be familiar with. And to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Now let me tell you what that's not. That is not saying, well, I'm going to change the doctrine to fit these people and I'm going to change it to fit those people. No, it means that I fall under the customs of the Jews and I don't complain about their customs. I just live in them that I might reach them. To those who are under the law, Paul behaved as under the law. That means he didn't buck against their system. He worked within their system to reach them. To those who were not under the law, he didn't go to them and say, hey, you guys got to all be like Jews you got to all put yourself under the law if you want me to come to you. He didn't do that. He came to them at the place where they were. Where they were. And he entered into that place and he ministered to them. I'm reminded. Chuck Smith reached out to all the hippies during the Jesus movement. But do you know, he did not grow long hair. He did not start smoking doobies like everybody else was. He didn't sit around with a peace pipe and get high with them in order to reach them. That's not what he's talking about. He said, I went into where they were and I ministered the truth of the gospel and God did the work. 
He said, I didn't worry about giving them that big long list of do's and don'ts. What happens when someone gives their life to the Lord? God begins to do that work in them. We have an opportunity to come alongside them and share with them the truth about why these things aren't good for them, why they should set them aside, why they should follow the Lord with their whole hearts. But he would enter into them where they were, on the beach, with flip-flops. Guys could have walked into Big Calvary in the tent days with their board shorts on and their surfboard under their arm and they could walk in the tent, leave a surfboard in the back, sit on the floor in the front of church and nobody complain. Why? Because they're coming to hear the word of God. In the church I grew up in, one time we had a kid come who didn't have a belt and his shirt wasn't tucked in and they wouldn't let him in the church. That's just stupid. Never saw that kid again. That's just dumb. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's about how are we willing to love. To those who are without the law as without the law. Not being without the law toward God. It doesn't means I didn't just sin and do whatever they were doing. I still was obedient to what God's word taught. But I went where they were that I might reach them. That I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Hey, the point is, the example Paul gives, I have all these rights, but they don't matter. It don't matter. It's what can I do to reach people for Jesus Christ? That's what matters. How can I affect people's lives? How can I minister the love of God in someone's life? And in that requirement, I'm not going to have all these lists of things that people have to do in order to do that. I'm going to come to them with the main thing. Hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Because the rest of it will take care of itself. Man, I had kids in youth group that couldn't come through a metal detector without setting off the metal detector in seven different counties. They had eyeballs pierced, eyebrows pierced, yes, eyeballs, tongues, lips, teeth, heads, Big old spikes in her nose. I thought I was ministering in the jungle of Africa. That's how some of them looked. Now I could say, now listen, if you guys are going to come to youth group, take all that junk out. Because I think that's the dumbest looking thing I ever saw in my life. Really? Does it matter? Just come hear Jesus. Come hear Jesus. Let's see what Jesus does with you. Maybe he sends you right back to your brothers and sisters just like that and you minister to them. Maybe he changes you and you look totally different. Whatever God wants to do, let God do. It's not about me. It's all about him. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me?